Take your Bibles and open them to Psalm 1, the first psalm in the book of Psalms. We'll actually be looking at Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, uh, but if you turn to Psalm 1, you should be okay. For some time now, we've been doing a series of meditations. But what is meditation? I thought this is something that we should consider. And so today, if you wish, for Dave who puts this on the website, this is a meditation on meditation. Um, to do so, I think we should look carefully at the first two Psalms in the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms teaches us how to pray. We are creatures that pray. We're not animals. We're not to live by sheer instinct. We're not angels. We don't have sort of a super intelligence um, that we have unmediated access to God. Unlike the angels, we need the scriptures. We have the scriptures to hear what God says to us. We are creatures that pray. It has been argued that creatures require tools. And in that vein, prayer could be seen as one of the tools of God's people. Um, Not tools for getting or doing something, but rather for being and becoming what God would have us to be. We need to recognize that prayer is one of the tools that God uses to work his will in our lives. Prayer is something that God uses for us to work together with him, to collaborate with him in his work, not simply in the world, but in our own lives. To review something we've seen over the years, what is prayer? A prayer is answering speech. God initiates the conversation. We answer in prayer. I think this is so basic and so fundamental. And so, for many of us, I think it's so counterintuitive because we imagine that we begin the conversation and then God responds to us. In reality, he has begun the conversation through his word, through circumstances in our lives, and we respond to him in prayer. God's words come before our words. Our prayers are not to seek God, they are to respond to God. God comes and speaks. His word catches us in our sins. He finds us in our despair. He invades us by his grace. And the book of Psalms are in fact answering speech. These are prayers that his people in the Old Testament prayed to God in response to the circumstances of their lives. We don't always like it, by the way, when God speaks to us. And we don't always understand it. Left to ourselves, we would prefer a God who says what we like hearing. But God is the God of all truth, and he speaks the truth to us. He speaks to us, and we respond in prayer. So the book of Psalms is to train us in this conversation. We're not praying to an unknown God that we hope to discover in our praying. We're praying to a known God who, through Israel, 
And the Lord Jesus Christ speaks our language. He has revealed himself. Um, If we're praying to an unknown God, then in fact we sort of get to indulge in our appetite for religious fulfillment. But if we pray to the known God, the God who has revealed himself, who has spoken to us first, we are practicing obedient faith. The first one is a lot more fun because it's about me. The second is much more important. What is important in prayer is not that we learn to express ourselves, but that we learn to answer God. And again, this is what the book of Psalms is about. What is fascinating about the book of Psalms, which has 150 Psalms, is that the first two Psalms aren't prayers at all. Um, The others are, but these first two are not. And they are, in fact, to prepare us to pray. The reality is we are not yet ready oftentimes to pray. We're too wrapped up in our own selves, in our own problems. We are tossed to and fro by our circumstances. The world is a pushing, shoving, and demanding place. There are voices bombarding us from without. There are voices from within. Um, There's just way too much stimuli all around and within us. In prayer, we listen to God because his is the most important voice. Not the governments, not the military, not the business world, not celebrities, but God himself. And when we listen to him and respond in prayer, we leave behind a world of anxiety and we enter a world that is God-centered, where God has spoken we leave a world of problems and enter a world of mystery because God is God after all he's infinite and beyond full knowing this isn't easy to leave our problems behind because in many ways as much as we dislike our problems we oftentimes define ourselves by our problems this is who I am um, we're not used to mystery we're not used to wondering about things. In one of my lectures with my students, I talk about the shifts that occurred in the 19th century uh, with the rise of capitalism and industrial revolution and all these things. And one of the things that happened in the 19th century is that the mystery of life, the mysteries of life, began to disappear. And so it is during the 19th century, the second half, that you begin to find the emergence of the mystery novel. See, because we no longer have mystery in life because science has told us it has an explanation for everything, so nothing's mysterious, but we need mystery, and so mystery writers, in fact, provide that for us. As I said, we are not yet ready to pray, and Psalms 1 and 2 prepare us. They get us ready to pray. They come together they, as a pair. By the way, we will always need Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. We will always need preparation before we pray. We will never be beyond this, of needing this help. Psalm 1 begins with the word blessed. Blessed is the man. And the last sentence in Psalm 2 begins with the word blessed. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. As I've done in the past few weeks, 
I'll give you some four things to think about in, as a meditation, today on meditation. First of all, what is meditation? Let's read Psalm 1. Follow along if you would as I read it. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like, the, uh, like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. What is meditation? Well, as with prayer, it begins with God. Though we may not see it that way, we tend to focus on what we do. This is true not only in prayer and in meditation, but in our worship. Um, That somehow we imagine that um, we are coming to perform for an audience of one. We are, yeah, we're putting on a show for God. And in fact, we have failed to recognize that God has begun a conversation. He, in fact, has acted toward us. We receive that gratefully by God's grace. Faithfully, we receive it. And then we respond in worship. We lift him up. We adore him for who he is and what he's done. Our worship should be more about God's activity than our own. Because think about it, in Christian worship, who is the primary actor? Who is the most important person? It is God himself. We assume somehow that we are. And the result is, it becomes a way for us to express ourselves. That somehow we gather together as a congregation to perform for the audience of one. Historically, the church has not seen things this way. It is seeing God as the primary agent, and we are responding to him with gratitude, thanksgiving. If, in fact, God is the primary agent, the primary actor, then what we do when we come together on Sunday morning, when we pray, when we sing, when we give, hear the preaching, we hear scripture read to us, we listen to it in communion, All of this is a response to God. God has acted and we respond in worship. That's what Psalm 1 wants to let us know. But when we read Psalm 1, particularly verse number 2, if in fact our thinking is all about us, we will in fact view meditation as something that we do rather than seeing it as a response to what God has spoken. Well, what has God done? Where is it here in in Psalm 1 that we see God acting? Um, It's there in verse number 2. It's the law of the Lord. God has given us his word. He has given his law. By the way, the, the word that is used is that, the root word is that of a javelin. A javelin that is thrown and hits its mark. This is God's word. It is intentional. It is aimed at us. 
God speaks to us and he penetrates. It is as though we have been stabbed through the heart by the law of God. And then we respond. One of the ways that we respond is in prayer. But in this particular verse, it is in meditation. Once we learn that we delight in God's law because God has in fact spoken to us, he begins the conversation, then we are ready to meditate. We take them in. Meditating is not merely reading words. It is in fact chewing on them. It's working them over and through them. The dictionary tells us that to meditate is to think deeply and quietly to contemplate. Um, The word that is used in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word, points to a deep tone, a murmuring or moaning. It is the dull sound of a harp string that it thrums. You, You pluck it and there's this boom. To meditate, there has to be someone who gives you something to think about. God speaks to us in his law and we don't simply hear it or read it, but we chew on it. We think it through. Now, this is very different from what we hear in our culture around us. In the modern world today, meditation is seen, in in fact, as an emptying of the mind. That you must empty your mind of all thoughts. And then you can, in fact, create a reality of your own. We might even call it virtual reality. But this is a view of meditation that begins with us. It doesn't see God as having spoken to us. It sees God as not existing at all and that we are, in fact, the masters of our own lives. Meditation and thinking are not exactly alike. There is thinking involved, okay? The reason is involved. Our reasoning ability is involved. I would say that to meditate is to think carefully, deeply, and diligently. And I would argue, as I did with prayer, I think everybody meditates. But just as with prayer, just because they do it doesn't mean that they are doing it correctly. The question is, what are we supposed to meditate about? One could argue that in Psalm 1, the key word is meditate. It is our response to God's law. But what about Psalm 2? What is the key word here? This is a longer psalm, but follow along if you would as I read it. Why do the nations conspire? Why do they rage? And the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger, terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. 
for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So the key word in Psalm 1 is meditate. What is the key word in Psalm 2? It's also meditate. But you might say, Damon, uh, you read it to us and there is no meditate found in Psalm number 2. It's actually in the first verse. Why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? Um, The King James has, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The word for imagine or plot is the same word as meditate. So in Psalm 1, you have the man of God, the blessed person who meditates. And in Psalm 2, you have the rebel who also meditates. It's the same action, a considering, a pondering, a chewing over, a contemplating even of God's revelation. In Psalm 1, the result is delight. It gives life. In Psalm 2, the result is rebellion. Instead of delighting, there is a planning. There's coming up with schemes. There's a scheming somehow to stand against God and his working in their lives. They do not see the law of God as that which penetrates them, but as that which chains them. And so they say, let us break their chains. Verse number three, throw off their fetters. These numerous people, the nations and the peoples, these prominent people, kings and rulers, they have the revelation of God. If they have not heard God's law from the word of God, they've certainly seen it in creation. The psalmist tells us there's not a place in the world where their voice is not heard. God reveals himself in creation. And as people think about this and they chew on it and they meditate on it, they're like, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. We see this as that which is trying to enslave us and we want to be free. In Psalm 38, those who seek my life set their traps. Those who would harm me talk of my ruin. All day long they plot deception. That is their meditation. So, what is meditation? It is the appropriate response to God's revelation. God has spoken in his word. He has spoken in creation. And we respond appropriately, which means we think deeply about it, um, diligently about it. We, we, We chew on it and think it through could say much more about that, but I will go on. Second question, is meditation a, an individual, private activity, or is it a communal, a congregational, or public activity? Is it private or public, individual or communal? Yes. It is, in fact, both private and public. It is individual and congregational. Usually when we think of meditation, we think of the individual, that a person is sitting by himself or herself. Um, God has spoken through his word and they're meditating and they're, and they're pondering what is it that God has said in his word. Um, that somehow in the privacy of my own mind, I can think deeply about what God has said or done. And certainly we hear this in the Psalms. Psalm 63, verse 6. On my bed I remember you I think of you through the watches of the night. In the ESV it has, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you 
in the watches of the night. Psalm 77. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Now, all of these point to the individual, that the person on his bed, her bed, or simply somewhere else. They remember what God has done and they meditate on his works. But that is only one form. In the same way that prayer is both private and public, it is the individual as well as the congregation, we in fact find this is the case with meditation. In Psalm 66, verse 5 and then verse 16, come and see what God has done, how awesome his works in man's behalf. Come and listen, all you who fear God, let me tell you what he has done for me. In this psalm, we hear the psalmist calling God's people. They need to come together and listen. They need to, in fact, think about what God has done. And he wants to tell them what God has done for him. And when we come together as a congregation during our time for prayer, when we speak of things that are either needs or things for which we are thankful, we are, in fact, providing something for the congregation to think about how God will act in this situation and what we want God to do. We are to unite ourselves with one another and we are to tell each other what God has done for us. The intent of Psalm 66 is in fact to say meditation is public. For the most part in the Psalms we see it as a private matter. And yet I must confess I wonder if that's what the psalmist means or if that's what we hear. We're all about ourselves. And so we read something that in fact is intended for God's people as a group, as a congregation, and somehow we just hear it as, yeah, that's for me. I'm supposed to be somewhere private and quiet by myself, and there I can meditate, I can think deeply about these things. Uh, No, this is something we do as a congregation. And so for four months now, we have been doing a series of meditations that I have given you fuel, for you to think about deeply and that we can talk about after the service as we consider what God has said. Third question. When should you meditate? When should one meditate? Most of the mentions of meditation, by the way, in scripture, 23 mentions, 19 are in the book of Psalms. Most of them have to do with nighttime, meditating at night. Psalm 63, on my bed I remember you, I think of you through the watches of the night. I read that earlier. Psalm 77, I remembered my songs in the night. My heart mused and my spirit inquired. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Selah. Then in Psalm 119, which is about the word of God, verse 55, In the night I remember your name, O Lord, and I will keep your law. And in Psalm uh, 119, verse 148, My eyes stay open through the watches of the night, that I may meditate on your promises. And indeed, when you think about it, there's a lot that recommends, that commends the idea of meditating on God's word at night. Um, even when we are in our beds 
as we think of the day that has just passed, the day that is yet to come, how God has been gracious in our life, in the lives of others, how he has revealed his deep love for us in that day, and how he has revealed his love to his people. But meditation is not only a nocturnal activity. If you go back to Psalm 1, verse number 2, what does it say? On his law he meditates day and night. It isn't simply something we do at night. Now, one of the early church fathers wrote this, sort of commending the idea of meditating at night. And I think what he has to say is good. Meditation during the day is, of course, good, but that at night is better. During the day, there is the clamor of our many cares, the mental distraction of our occupations. The quiet and solitude of the night make it a favorable time for prayer and most suitable for those who watch. That, that sort of makes sense. Uh, yes, uh, during the daytime there are just so many distractions. Uh, you get into bed, turn off the TV, turn off everything, and you're in bed and it's quiet, and there you can meditate. But meditation isn't merely thinking. It's doing something about what you've thought. It is obedience. It is to include obedience. And therefore, it's not simply something we do on our beds, but in our daily living and obedience. So when should we meditate? Well, Psalm 1, verse 2, day and night. The last question, which may seem strange, is meditation something we are supposed to do? You might think it's a strange question after all that we've looked at. But meditation is only mentioned three times in the New Testament. And um, in the NIV at least, the word meditate doesn't show up at all in the New Testament. Um, we find it three places in the New Testament. Colossians 3.2 Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And the word is meditate. Meditate on things above, the things of God, not on earthly things. And then 1 Timothy 4.15, Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. The King James has here, meditate upon these things. And then in Psalm, I'm sorry, Philippians 4, uh, verse number 8, which I think is perhaps in the New Testament the preeminent passage on meditation. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about or meditate on such things. It isn't enough, Paul would tell us, that we read the scripture. We are to think deeply about it. We are to chew on it, to ponder it. We're not to empty our minds, to somehow fill it whatever we think it should be filled with. God has spoken. God is speaking. Are we listening? 
we received a letter from Hillary this week. And there's something wonderful about letters because you, you can read them over and over again. And, and sometimes you try to read in between the lines what's being said, what's not being said. Um, this is what God has done. He has spoken to us and we are to think about this deeply. At the end of Psalm 19, the psalmist says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. How is this possible? How is it possible that I do anything that is acceptable to God, that is pleasing to him? Well, this raises an important question. Are we to meditate in order to be pleasing to God? Again, we're thinking about ourselves. Rather than thinking of God has spoken, and we like, hmm, that's really interesting. This is what God says. And I wonder what that means. And it's not always a straight line. Sometimes we may say this, and then, no, no, then go back to the beginning and think about it. And say, Could it mean this? And then we have other brothers and sisters, alive and dead, whom we can consult with. We have books upstairs of God's people who have lived before us. And with them, we can think about, in a very deep way, what God has said. Again, let's go back to the issue of being pleasing or acceptable in God's sight. God speaks to us, and we think on what God has said. And then we respond in prayer. Basically, we are bouncing back to God what he has said to us. And so in this way, it is acceptable. It is pleasing in God's sight. David is asking that the words that come from his mouth would be pleasing to God. Are these only the spiritual words, like when he's praying or when he's meditating or when he's speaking about theology? Um, I think he is focusing on worship and prayer, no question. But we should remember that in everyday conversation, Paul tells us, our words, our conversations are to be seasoned with salt. Jesus says we will give an account for every careless word. So, meditation is the link between reading scripture and prayer. That is, God speaks to us and we think about it and then we respond graciously in prayer. By the way, we should do the same with our neighbors as well, that we respond to them graciously. We have to go back to the whole matter of prayer because I think our prayer... The way we view prayer is, um, is I've mentioned this before, is like Kramer in Seinfeld. The way he would always come into the, the apartment, just sort of skate in. It's, that, that, I think, is the way prayer is for many of us. That we're like, okay, Lord, here we are. We've got some needs. We've got some problems. Uh, we want to say thank you for this. But there is no sense that, okay, I, I have listened to what you had to say. I have been chewing on it. I've been meditating on it. And now I respond in prayer. 
Matthew Henry, a famous commentator, said David's prayers were not his words only, but his meditations. As meditation is the best preparation for prayer, so prayer is the best issue of meditation. Meditation and prayer go together. Thomas Manton, another uh, English reformer, said it is rashness to pray and not to meditate. What we take in by the word we digest by meditation and let out by prayer. Finally, one other commentator wrote, reading without meditation is unfruitful. Meditation without reading is hurtful. In other words, there has to be fuel and it has to come from scripture. To meditate and to read without prayer upon both is without blessing. So we can conclude it is not simply enough for us to read scripture or to know scripture. We are to meditate. We are to think deeply about what it says. And it is not enough to read and meditate. We should then pray. This may seem like a lot. Um, seems that God is really asking a lot of us. I mean, why can't we just say thank you for this and we're asking about this and let it go at that? Well, we are called to be God's children. He wants us to engage in conversation, one which he has begun. And um, it's not to be a frivolous conversation. It's not to be a conversation without substance. Uh, We're talking to the God of the universe. It's pretty heavy stuff. Um, Think of the conversations you've had with human beings that have been light or frivolous, or, it drives me nuts, they're already thinking of their answer before you finish saying what you want to say. Can't help but wonder if God feels the same way oftentimes about us. He has spoken. We are to listen, to read, to meditate, to digest, as one writer put it. And that's not enough. Then we respond to God in prayer. Lest we think that this is all on us to keep this relationship going, David says in Psalm 19 that God is his rock, my rock, and my redeemer. That is his security and the one who buys back what we have sold or wasted or thrown away. Those idle words that we have wasted, that we have, our words that we have thrown away, God is our redeemer. My salvation does not depend on me because if it did, I'm lost for eternity. It is God who began this whole business and it is God who sustains us every step of the way. Let's pray together. Our Father, you have spoken to us. You are speaking to us just not sure that we always listen. We're too busy listening to other things, to other people. 
so meditation isn't something that comes naturally to us. Even in our conversations with our fellow human beings, we don't always think about what they say. We don't even think about what we're saying oftentimes. By your grace, by your spirit, help us to remember that you begin the conversation. We don't. When we're in dire circumstances, you are the one who has arranged our circumstances. And by your grace, we call out to you for help. In a world that does not treasure thinking deeply, that seems to demand an instantaneous response, your call to us may sound very strange and difficult. But we are to delight in your law and to meditate on it day and night. Such is the blessed person. May your spirit work in our hearts. May we, in fact, meditate on what we have heard this day. We pray for the G's as they have suffered much sickness, that you would heal them and raise them up, keep Titus from getting it. He has work to do. We're grateful for the good news about Rory's theater group and how things have gone, and we give thanks for that. As we leave this place today, may your spirit and your grace go with us. As we walk through the world in the coming week, may we have a sense of your presence and know that you're talking to us if we would but listen. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.